Hello and welcome to another episode of the Hague Diplomacy Podcast. My name is Elon Medhavji and I'll be your host. With the overall space narrative dominated by the great powers of the United States and China, and a generally macro-level geopolitical obsession, I sometimes find it actually hard to believe that there are more than 70 countries that have a space program. And for all of us who aren't the US or China, there's likely a couple of certainties regarding space diplomacy. First of all, any of these other spacefaring nations almost definitely fall into either the American or Chinese camp. And secondly, due to the nature of outer space and what it takes to operate there, these states are forced to engage with the bilateral, regional, and multilateral dynamics of space diplomacy. Today we're going to dive into the case of one of those countries, Japan, because I believe that we have the most to learn from their approach to space diplomacy. What I mean by that is they're clearly not a great, great power in space, and yet they do play a significant role that has a lot to do, perhaps, with the long-standing military alliance with the United States, just like so many other space-curious nations. However, at the same time, they contend with China as a literal next-door neighbor, who's also their largest trading partner. And amongst all this, they themselves, Japan, are a part of a rapidly developing Southeast Asian context. So this unique position has forced Japan to employ space diplomacy on a variety of bilateral, regional, and multilateral fronts, and, in my opinion, to a degree of decent success. So this makes them the wielder of many different space diplomacy tools that I think we and many other countries can find very useful. Now, to a degree, this is an inspired sentiment that uh, I gathered after reading the work of Sadia Pekinen, who is the co-editor of the Hague Journal of Diplomacy special issue on space diplomacy, and also the Job and Gertrude Tamaki Endowed Professor and founding director of the Space Law, Data, and Policy Program at the University of Washington School of Law. And we are very delighted to have her with us today as we look to learn from Japan's space diplomacy. Thank you so much, Elaine, for um, having me. And so let me first step back and say um, that I think the, the the world that we're looking at in the international space order, uh, we are beginning to see sort of dividing into more or less a bipolar system. One side is sort of led by the United States, uh, which is a former military ally of uh, Japan. And the other side is sort of led by uh, uh, China. And this, I think, is where uh, Japan's uh, strategy becomes very important as an ally of the United States, because much of what it's doing on the civilian, commercial, and military side is sort of aligning with where the United States uh, is uh, headed. Now, this does not mean that uh, Japan is not open to overtures or uh, you know, sort of normative or uh, even perhaps educational or technical uh, collaboration uh, with the Chinese, but at this particular stage, uh, what we are seeing is that Japan is uh, moving forward uh, with the U.S. and its expanding uh, partnerships in the international space order. Yeah, so that makes sense. I think uh, that that's definitely a prevalent theme 
that you know if you were to google space diplomacy or space politics now a lot of the material would definitely fit within that frame you've just mentioned i was reading one of your previous articles and you mentioned something called this the geopolitical threat based narrative which i found to be a wonderful that's a wonderful section header uh and uh that reminded me a lot of what i've noticed to be maybe a bit of um like a security bias sometimes when uh, we're talking at a more surface level about issues of space diplomacy and space development, uh, sure, the things that get the most clicks and the most likes and the most hot issues are the security-related, military-related kind of topics, right? Understandably so. But with respect to what you were talking about with Japan fitting itself between these two camps, and specifically maybe through this threat-based lens, if you will, um, how does that play a role into how they position themselves? Yeah, no, I think that that is an excellent uh, question. So um, I'm glad you found that uh, phrasing useful, sort of a geopolitical uh, threat-based narratives. And I think the essence of that narrative uh, is that we are talking about the creeping weaponization of space and intertwined with the orbital debris uh, threat that affects all civilian, commercial, and military operations in uh, space. So uh, I think what we are attempting to do is to figure out, I mean, at, at least what the international community, I think, is interested in figuring out, is how can we restrain behavior in a domain that uh, is sort of moving towards uh, weaponization, in which we see uh, anti-satellite testing, in which we see non-kinetic threats that are um, that are brought about by things like rendezvous proximity operations. Uh, of course, you are right to point out that um, uh, the reason why I think the United States is, of course, so concerned is because it is uh, it holds about sixty percent of the operational. Uh, satellites today belong to the United States. And that's a dependence that's likely to grow with the mega constellations going uh, into space. And because the threats to these functioning space assets extends out to geosynchronous orbits where nuclear command and control um, architectures uh, you know, sort of flow from, uh, countries that are under the extended nuclear umbrella of the United States, like Japan, are of course also understandably concerned so I think that that's the work that diplomats will really have to engage in, is kind of set down a framework where uh, all parties realize that, you know, that may not be the best way to sort of advance uh, the work of peaceful prospects in outer space, uh, is what I want to say. So countries do have their interests with respect to space, but from a sort of a threat-based narrative, I think that that is a, at the heart of why uh, many of the military allies of the U.S., ought to be concerned about what is going on in space. And this, of course, also includes uh, Japan, which has changed uh, not just its uh, interpretations of how it approaches military activities in space, but it has also changed and revamped its national security uh, doctrines and postures and understanding at the domestic level in order to deal with precisely those kinds of threats going forward. I think that, um, you know, for a very long time, uh, uh, and really until officially 2008, Japan had a very high bar for itself in terms of not engaging uh, in any kinds of military activities in space. But because since 2008, you know, it has been able to do that and it has begun to take steps uh, towards um, uh, engaging or building out military architectures more openly with respect to uh, space. Now, having said that, uh, I would also say that one of the most significant changes that has come in Japan uh, is that uh, 
Whereas before you could not even talk about uh, national security in space, what the Japanese have uh, now done uh, based on the changes that have gone in place domestically is that today we're at a place where Japan can even talk about disruptive or offensive operations being carried out uh, in space. So they have, uh, they are beginning to reconfigure their military to sort of deal with these kinds of um, uh, threats as well uh, that affect not just uh, their own standing and what they want to do in space, but also because, as I was mentioning earlier, uh, because of the problems that it presents for extended nuclear uh, deterrence uh, of their um, ally. Now, having said that, what I would also put on the table uh, for you and your audience to consider is that one thing I find fascinating about Japan's um, uh, activities in outer space is that there's definitely now a very solid security military aspect to Japan's uh, space posture. But this not come at the expense of uh, their interest and continued interest in sort of civil and commercial uh, operations as well. And here, when you look across the full spectrum of what Japan is doing in terms of its security, its uh, economics, and its uh, diplomatic activities, you find that it's, it's, it's much more balanced than if you were just sort of only concentrating on the security side. Um, and I'm happy to tell you a little bit about what they're doing also on the civilian and uh, uh, commercial side, which is that uh, they have sort of um, tied their... Um, I wouldn't say their fortunes, but they've tied uh, their activities to what the U.S. is doing in civilian and commercial space. So uh, they were original partners on the International Space Station uh, with the U.S. And that experience over decades uh, has put them in a good stead to uh, build on that continued collaboration with NASA and other uh, international partners. So they're part of the Artemis Accords. Uh, they have made inroads into uh, uh, the commercial side as well by uh, flying their crew on uh, SpaceX missions. Uh, and in the future, I think the Japanese prime minister has also announced that they want uh, Japanese uh, boots on the ground on the moon uh, when that landing actually does take place under the Artemis Accord. So I'm excitedly waiting to see when they announce the crew, whether or not uh, the crew that's actually going to land. I think it's Artemis 3 when they land on the uh, moon, then um, I'm hoping that there will be a Japanese astronaut there. One of the most contentious issues right now in space diplomacy has to do with what they call dual-use technology. This is space technology that can be used for both military and civil purposes. So think of like a satellite that can track and monitor the location of, I don't know, say, commercial ships and people using maps on their phone, or doing the same thing with the same tech for guiding missiles or tracking troop movements. This two-sided conundrum is actually really relevant also for our ability to remove debris from space as well. So I think you can see the issue here. Tech that looks peaceful is largely employed peacefully, but could slot into a military role instantly if needed. This is causing headaches for the international governance of space and how we behave with one another up there. And this directly affects Japan, who are a bona fide leader in the development of space tech and have been for decades, a lot of which can be considered dual use. So how does Japan convince Earth and its countries and people that their intentions are peaceful? And how do they get the most out of being a leader in the domain of technological development for space? Yes, I think that that is a wonderful uh, question, an extremely important question. So I want to be categorically clear about this. I see Japan 
as one of the world's leaders in space diplomacy. And as you're correctly mentioning, when you look across the multilateral, the regional and the bilateral level, what you really have to admire is the skills and the diplomacy with which they have positioned Japanese scientific, economic and um, military interests across all these uh, particular uh, forums. So at the multilateral level, I think Japan's position uh, you know, consistent with its still pacifist constitution uh, is that, uh, you know, we need to do these things for defense uh, purposes, but because 95% of technology, space technologies are dual use, we do need to have a shared and common understanding of how people should uh, behave in space, how space countries uh, should behave in space. And so if you look at their activities under the, um, under the auspices of the United Nations, they have done a great deal of, um, uh, work and are ramping this up even more in terms of uh, the UK-led initiative of building responsible behavior uh, in uh, space. They've also signed up uh, to the uh, US understanding of not taking out, um, using uh, direct, ascent sat um, uh, direct ascent missiles to take out uh, satellites. So sort of a moratorium on ASAT uh, testing. So we can see all at the diplomatic level, we can sort of see uh, that they are very strongly interested in sort of pushing for a much more um, uh, for a model in which stakeholders get or build a better understanding of what it takes to have um, uh, responsible behavior in space. Now, at the regional level, and this is one of the under uh, you know underappreciated stories of Japan is that given its past, um, uh, given uh, the history of the uh, Pacific War, given Japan's, uh, uh, you know, uh, troublesome uh, history, uh, military history in, in the past, Japan has done an extraordinarily job of nesting this dual use technologies into something called the Asia Pacific Regional Space Agency Forum. And since the early 1990s, they have been working with stakeholders, uh, you know, within the region, uh, particularly in Southeast Asia, uh, but also from around the world and uh, in East Asia to sort of build an understanding of what the technology can do for socioeconomic development. And for me, that sounds very much as sort of coming from an IR international law perspective. I also think of that as a reassurance game of how uh, you uh, tell the countries around you that although this technology and these capabilities can be uh, used for offensive purposes, they also have a, a use for socioeconomic development. So nesting it within this uh, APRSAP has been extraordinarily, it was a very, very sort of, I think, farsighted move on the part of uh, Japanese um, uh, of the of the Japanese government. And finally, I would say at the bilateral level, while we often, uh, because of the prominence of the US-Japan um, alliance, we often think that Japan is uh, doing everything in the context of the military alliance with the, the US, particularly in terms of uh, space. But what we're also beginning to see is that Japan is uh, engaging other partners on that basis. And I'm very um, optimistic and hopeful about what might happen also with South Korea. I think that uh, some of the tensions there, uh, space could be used as a vehicle with which to effect some sort of a common understanding between these two uh, countries where diplomatic relations have been very, very uh, challenging. And another partner in the region, I think, is going to be Australia, where they're beginning to do a lot of work 
um, uh, at least putting the diplomatic pieces into motion uh, to think about what might help to um, advance not just their industrial developments, but also then morphing over into sort of a space security uh, framework. So I think uh, unless we sort of keep all those pieces and sort of balance them, uh, I think talking about any one of them at the expense of the other would be sort of a caricature of where Japan is and where it's headed. It's an all front strategy. So it's, you know, every direction, every quarter, uh, they are really very actively, proactively positioning their economic, industrial and uh, diplomatic uh, interests across the board. So I think this is why I think Japan space diplomacy um, is really worth um, uh, monitoring because it is a very successful model for other countries uh, to sort of take uh, note of. Um, I just want to take this opportunity to say that I'm also working on a book on Japan's space diplomacy where I'll be sort of fleshing out these themes going uh, forward. No, that's that's wonderful to hear because I think you're right. I think there's a lot that uh, us as uh, interested, uh, interested folk, uh, academics, uh, researchers, anyone listening who might even be uh, working for, you know, think tanks or government agencies who really want to pick up tools from others who've been successful. There's a lot to learn from that. And um, I would imagine they might also be thinking at this point, uh, the, I don't know, the the spaceship in the room we haven't talked about is that a lot of these things you're talking about with respect to uh, regional collaboration comes perhaps in reflection of China being uh, obviously, the the other the other camp, uh, and yet being the camp next door. So, I'm kind of curious: to what degree does the um, not only the obvious you could call it quote unquote threat of China, but perhaps also some of the great benefits to be had by working with China? How do those two opposing you know factors integrate themselves into into Japan's all front strategy? Yeah. So I think, again, an excellent question. So as I say, it's very important to unpack all the strands uh, and all the ways in which uh, uh, Japan may have uh, concerns about China, but also the ways in which Japan has engaged with China. So Japan is, of course, in a uh, economic pact with uh, China, uh, which I believe covers 30% of uh, world trade, uh, and so are many of the countries uh, in the region. So there is definitely that reality uh, there. Uh, the other thing I would say in terms of engagement is that, again, through APRSAP, the uh, Asia-Pacific Regional Space Agency Forum, Japan has left the door open for um, uh, China, Chinese uh, delegations and uh, China's uh, uh, regional organization, the Asia-Pacific uh, Space Cooperation Organization, to also engage. So they have done that to, through a minimal amount. And I think where those two countries uh, may, in fact, have an opportunity to do something that they're already doing in their respective organizations is focus on uh, space education um, and how, uh, so those I realize are, uh, well, not the economics, but at least the, uh, the, um, the engagement and the education is I think one uh, building block that the two sides can in fact um, build uh, on uh, to sort of advance socioeconomic development uh, in the region, to talk about uh, infrastructure development uh, in the region. So I do look forward to that. And as you may have, as you may know, I think that there is going to be a meeting between Kishida and Xi, and I believe the prime minister has invited uh, Xi to Japan, uh, and they will be conducting their own um, bilateral diplomacy. The reality for Japan is it is in the region, as you so correctly said, right? So 
if you're going to <clears throat> live in the region, you have to work with the countries in your uh, neighborhood. And uh, that is, uh, you know, as true for Japan-China relations as it may be for the U.S.-China relationship, <clears throat> excuse me, writ large, uh, globally. So <clears throat> having said that, I think that there's no question also uh, that there are the Japanese uh, foreign policy establishment has significant concerns about the way uh, that uh, China often carries out its uh, activities and incursions and what are thought of as uh, territorial waters in Japan. And I think uh, if there was a bilateral hotline between uh, the two countries, one of the things that you could do is pick a saying, you know, what are you doing? Because our space assets can actually monitor. Uh, so there can be an informational basis uh, for uh, Japan and um, China to sort of build an understanding of what's happening um, on the ground and sort of get on the same uh, page. Um, so, uh, but I think that uh, as with any diplomacy, you have to come to the table with good faith. Um, so I think the uh, onus is also on the Chinese side uh, that if you are coming to the table, you know, what is it that you are actually willing to uh, negotiate and persuade your counterparts with? So I think that's the hard and important part of uh, uh, space-related diplomacy that the two countries definitely need to uh, engage in. Um, Beyond that, uh, I would say that uh, one of the things, of course, that the, the type of that Japan has to walk is that it is in a form of military pact uh, with uh, with the United States. So what I'm saying uh, is uh, that, uh, you know, eventually it is entirely possible that the three countries sort of need to sit down and hammer out what those differences might be. And space might be one way in which they begin to build that foundational and perhaps shared common understanding of what is the best way uh, forward. If we, if I'm assuming nobody wants to sort of engage in a space related uh, war of some kind. So I think we need to keep all those pieces in mind uh, as these countries are grappling with international changes, but also have to answer to their domestic um, audiences. Uh, but I, I can see what Japan is doing. It'll be also interesting to see uh, the overtures that uh, China and the United States make in this particular arena. So with a deep friendship with the Americans on one side and China most definitely on the other side, it's clear that Japan's strong development and space technology has never really existed in a vacuum. But maybe that's been an opportunity that they've turned into a strength. As we've touched on last episode and also in this one, space is a team sport. And if Japan can convince great powers, regional states, and the multilateral system alike that their technology can encourage peaceful collaboration and mutual benefits for all, then maybe that adds another string to their space diplomacy bow but also to their diplomatic efforts on Earth as well. So let's close this episode with the expert words of Sadia, who has picked out some key lessons from Japan's space diplomacy that we can take with us and think about. And before we do, I just want to thank you again so much for listening. What I would say is that take a look at what they have done at the regional level, which is that they have housed a very potent and lethal space technology into a sort of institutional rubric that also brings others uh, onto the table to recognize uh, what are the elements that we can extract from this to deal with common threats that we're all facing on our planet Earth. Poverty, socioeconomic development, environmental and climate changes. Those are extremely disasters that are very common uh, in the Asia Pacific region. Those are very important things to be able to build on. So I would say if you house a potent technology like space, 
into also uh, important building blocks for uh, dealing with poverty, climate uh, changes, environmental uh, erosion, then you're really building a place for all people to come together and build something uh, together.